welcome back to another episode of the Best Minutes Podcast. Each week, Movies by Minute hosts examine the 1946 William Wyler-directed film, The Best Years of Our Lives, one minute of screen time per episode. I'm Brett Stillo of Five Minutes of Trouble and Five Minutes of Bonsai, here once again with my good friend and co-host, Mr. Josh Horowitz. Hello, Brett. How are you today, this fine Wednesday? Well, just uh, recovering, recovering, <laughs> you know. Yesterday's episode, wow. A barn burner. A barn burner. Broken <laughs> candy glass everywhere. Uh, but now it, but it, it continues. Yes. The struggle in this drugstore. And uh, today we have a very, very special guest. Uh, a returning guest, none other than Audra Wolfman. Oh, hi. Hello. Welcome to me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming back yet again to one of our pos- podcast extravaganzers. Yeah, I'm okay hanging out with you guys. It's all right. All right. <laughs> we're, we're glad to have you. This is your, is this a pentafecta? I've lost track of how many times we've worked with you on uh, various podcasts. It's, it's beyond trifecta. <laughs> it's an oct- let's call it an octafecta if such a thing uh, or an aqua velva if such a thing exists. And we're we're also getting a lot of uh, a lot of women on our podcast for this time around, which is great. Are you filling some kind of uh, checkbox here? Is that why I'm here? <laughs> no, no, not oh, at all. Because I can be flexible. I mean, gender wise. So. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. I think. I think with this movie, you know. It, this is an interesting movie because you do have very strong women characters. Mm. And I think that the female perspective definitely, definitely helps when you watch this movie. Yeah, the women in this movie really infantilize the men. They really, <laughs> really take care of everyone, don't they? I mean, some of them need it. Yes, they all need it. They, they all, all need it. it. But, uh, they all need it. A lot of care. And so, yeah, we asked you to be on an episode where uh, there are no women. <laughs> There's just immature men fighting. So we thought you'd like that. So uh, before we start, uh, what's your what's your history with this movie? Or do you have a history with the movie? What are your thoughts about this movie in general? I do have a memory of seeing this movie in high school in a history class. And it was kind of like the last day of school or actually like the last week of school. And they broke it up into two different days, and uh, I could not pay attention at all. Hmm. Uh, I I wanted to, but it was sort of everyone was just talking and drawing and bothering each other, and so I wasn't really plugged into the movie. And I just kind of remember it being this long slog. Yeah, it's hard to handle movies like this when you're, I, I think, in high school. I think you you kind of need to have a, a few more world experiences to to kind of get the, the feel for this one and a little extra World War II knowledge too, can't hurt. Yeah, um, I actually, because my father's a Holocaust survivor, like I, I've always oh, been wow. pretty knowledgeable about World War II, but only from that perspective. And mm-hmm. so I I was interested in the concept and I, I definitely knew that um, about shell shock and mm. uh, you know the soldiers coming back and just not fitting in right. Um, not being able to get back to their regular lives in the regular way. That's that's very interesting, though. I, I didn't know that. Uh, who in your family was a Holocaust survivor? My father. Wow. Yep. Yeah, my father's eighty nine. Hmm. At the moment. Uh, is is there is there an interesting story to tell there? Oh yeah, this is a six hour podcast, right? <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I, he actually was able to escape Vienna um, mm. as part of the Kinder Transport program that was happening and uh, taking Jewish children and moving them over to um, England. Wow. And so he was out in the English countryside with a Catholic family for uh, during the war. Huh. So he was he was a refugee. Huh, so from from Vienna. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. that, that's interesting. My uh, my grandparents on my mom's side, they they escaped from Vienna uh, in uh, just before oh. September of 1939. Yeah, I mean, they, they were oh, already, wow. uh, you know, I, I would say in their 30s at that point uh, when, when they got out. But uh, but yeah. Wow. Where did they go? Uh, they came to Los Angeles. And uh, and there they stayed. <laughs> that's interesting. That's that's one thing that uh, that they don't really talk about very much. Well, not really at all. And in, in this movie, this is more about the, the soldiers uh, point of view coming back from the war. But uh, but certainly, you know, that that's a uh, that's a that's a big thing. And you know, the fact that, you know, it, it cuts that close to home, you know, the, the whole World War Two experience through your father. You know, that's that's interesting. Oh, yeah. And and as much as I could not pay attention to it as a teenager in high school, um, I, I was totally wrapped with attention watching it uh, just recently as an adult. Mm. Um, definitely just escaped my attention all these years because I was like, oh, yeah, that's that long movie. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, watching it again uh, is fantastic. Yeah. Actually, you know, an interesting thing there, and it kind of cuts to these scenes that we've been talking about, you know, the character of Mr. Mollet, you know, this, uh, you know, this isolationist figure, you know, when he talks about how we shouldn't have gotten involved, and then just, I, I guess, thinking how, you know, your, your father was escaping from all that, and you kind of know <laughs> firsthand just what was happening over there, and how important it kind of was for the world to be involved. Uh, you know, I, I think that there's, there's something there to think about as well. Yeah, and they don't explicitly say at any point, like, you know, hey, what about the Nazis? But you, you yeah. pick up on it. Like, there there absolutely was a Nazi party in America, and mm-hmm. um, especially in New York and L.A., and any, you know, big city had a presence. Uh, but it's not a part of history that we remember. Let's talk, though, a little bit about this minute, and that's yeah, minute uh, 138. Why don't you... Set the scene for us, Brad. Minute 138 starts with the store manager, my favorite character, Mm. requesting bandages for the fallen Mr. Mollet and ends with Fred and Homer walking and talking. Yes. This is the aftermath of of all that candy glass. All that candy glass. So much glass. He would be cut to ribbons. He would. Shredded. Now, I know we, we talked about candy glass quite a bit in previous episodes, but uh, Audra, have you ever experienced uh, any sort of candy glass in, in like <laughs> any of the stuff that you've done? <laughs> no, but I always wanted to. As a kid, I was like super uh, obsessed with it. I just thought like, oh, it'd be so cool to get a bottle and just like eat it. <laughs> right? Yeah. Candy. <laughs> now, I happen to have a candy glass story. Really? I have a candy mm. glass story. Mm. I was making a, a low-budget movie, and it was so low-budget, we had one glass bottle for a fight scene. Mm. And I don't know what happened, but, you know, we were just very careful. We sort of had the bottle in a little blanket and everything like that. And 
when it was time to do, you know, the fight scene where a guy, classic bottle over the head, uh, the bottle breaks in my hands. Oh. Mm. And uh, spill, spills liquid all over the place. And it was, uh, it, it really put a damper on shooting that day. <laughs> damper. <laughs> and, uh, and dampening, yes. Yeah, very dampening. Very dampening. Yeah, we, <laughs> I thought you were going to say like a dog ran up and ate it or something. <laughs> I wish. That would that would be much funnier than, you know, us trying to like one clean up the candy glass and mm. uh, you know, we you know, we also had the the landlord we were renting the place from, you know, s- s- next door. You're like, is everything all right? Oh yeah, fine. Fine. We're not damaging your carpet. So <laughs> Did it did it happen it while you were shooting? Yeah, while we're shooting. Oh, so or, you what, know, what do you say in a, in a scene like that then? You say, oh, like, didn't know I had the strength or something like that. <laughs> they don't make these like I, they used to. Yeah, I, I suppose I, I would resort to looking at a Mad Magazine for inspiration. <laughs> because, uh, yeah, what we have here is the aftermath of uh, Fred's mighty Hollywood He-Man punch on Mr. Mullet. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the store manager arrives and uh, you know tries to soothe the angry mullet, and uh, we have a big moment for Fred, I think, um, mm-hmm. because you you know what's coming. But Dana Andrews he whips that apron off, and you know he's he's going to do what everyone hopes to do. So like, you can't fire me, I quit. Mm-hmm. So you know he goes up to the manager and he says, "Don't say it, chum. I'm fired." <laughs> but mm-hmm. he's not really broken up. I think this is Fred. Uh, maybe, maybe this is a bit of a turnaround for Fred because he's he's not gonna just take it. He's not gonna get fired. Um, he's leaving, and he's pretty disgusted here too. But you mentioned that this is something that could be a nice little segue to Mad Magazine. I used to read that a lot back when I was a kid in the '80s, and I just remember that there was this thing. It was called uh, "Snappy Answers to Stupid <laughs> Questions." Oh yeah, oh yeah. And and usually these would be something that you know, would answer a pretty dumb question here. But I, I think in that vein, so here's a question where he's like, don't say it, I quit. But what was he going to say? So uh, I, I actually have a couple things here that I put down. Maybe you, you have a few others. But uh, maybe instead of uh, saying you're fired, one of the things he could have said was, for instance, wow, Fred, that was a great punch you landed. Better than your friend's left-right hook combination. Oh, or maybe he might have said, no, don't worry, Fred. We were meaning to replace that glass countertop for the longest time. Thanks for giving us an excuse. (laughs) Don't have to uh, wash that down at the end of the night. No, you don't. No. The the, my favorite one is uh, (laughs) he's like, don't say it. He's like, but say, Fred, can you give this man a Sunday? Oh, def- definitely. That makes everything better. better. <laughs> Was that cool how he made like two Sundays in one hand? I, I oh, really liked he's that. The, yeah, he's the yeah. Sunday master. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back and I think well that that was that was our minute with your daughter, I believe. That's when right. We really got into the the mechanics, the oh. engineering of <laughs> the mm-hmm. Sunday, and yeah, that's you know just, yeah just to go back there for a moment. That you know that is a really nice moment because while Fred is. You know, he's he's not happy at this job, but he doesn't take it out on the customers. Well, except for one customer. <laughs> but you know, the the he, he did put on a show there making those Sundays for those kids. And it was like, well, mm-hmm. you know, you you guys, you know, you hard earned allowance money. Here you go, kids. 
So it just yeah. shows, you know, Fred is a good guy. Well, someone um, who takes pride in his work, even if it is a little more menial than he would hope. One of the things that Fred does say is that, you know, the, the customer is always right. And God knows I've heard that over time. Uh, but I was, I was thinking about it, and it's like, well, where, where did that term come from? So I looked this one up on Wikipedia, and apparently, uh, before this term really was in fashion, if you sold something, you usually had the motto of caveat emptor, or let the buyer beware. Uh, and, you know, you don't know what the quality is of the thing that you're buying. Uh, but then in the mid-late, uh, mid-to-late 19th century, there were certain retailers. One of them was called Harry Gordon Selfridge in the UK and somebody named John Winnemaker and Marshall Field in the US. And they, they said that customer complaints should be treated seriously so customers don't feel cheated or deceived. And so they started this whole idea of making sure that the customer is always right. And there's, there's different terms for this in different languages. Did you know that? Uh, I'm going <laughs> to try my best at not butchering these, but in... Uh, in French, it is le client n'a jamais tort, which means the customer is never wrong. And in German, it's der Kunde ist König, which means <laughs> the customer is king. I kind of like that one. <laughs> I like that one too. And then, oh, but it gets better. In, in Japanese, uh, here we go. It's uh, okayaku sama wa kamisama desu, which means nailed it. <laughs> the customer is a god. Well, that's going to present problems. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 sort of indicates that that maybe you would be willing to make a sacrifice to the customer. <laughs> it's funny how, like, maybe perhaps um, culturally, these ramped up. So, like the French, you said, okay, well, he's 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 never wrong. Uh, <laughs> Germans are like he's king, and uh, leave it to the Japanese to really go overboard and say no 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 he's a god he's god i would die for you customer (laughs) but then yeah what we have here is you know what i think is maybe the most poignant moment in the movie or one of the most poignant movie Hmm. poignant moments and it's so poignant i can't even say it right but uh we have homer reaching down with with his hooks Mm -hmm. and he picks up that little American flag pin that he ripped off of Mollet's lapel. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I find that's a really touching scene yeah. because uh, here's a guy who has, he's, he's given himself to serve his country and uh, he, you know, he's, he's got hooks to show for it. <laughs> but uh, it just reminds me so much of, of these world war two guys who, um, you know, he, he picks up that little pin and, you know, he puts it on his lapel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he strips him of it, which is really powerful. Mm-hmm. He's just like, you're not basically saying you're not a you're patriot. Not, yeah, you're not worthy of this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I think, you know, to me, it's, uh, you know, you can disagree about the, I mean, they, they have more than a disagreement about the politics, but, uh, you know, that, that, Homer rescues the flag. Mm-hmm. You know, he would go that far. He he takes the flag up, and to me, it's it's just like he sort of believes in the American dream there, mm-hmm. and he restores it. And it's sort of like I will take care of you now. Yeah, very symbolic. Yeah, just the delicacy with which he puts the pin in. 
Um, it's almost like, you know, I'm, I'm sorry I tore you down. <laughs> I'm sorry you landed on the ground. You deserve better than this. So, yeah. I mean, uh, if anything, it's, it's, it's more impressive that he's doing it with these hooks. I mean, we saw in, in previous scenes how he, he, you know, he could play piano with these hooks. He could, you know, eat with the spoon with his hooks. But, you know, with, with just the right amount of delicacy, you know, he, he uses those hooks and he's able to grab it and, and put it on. You know, with just the, the gravitas of what he lost. Yeah, I mean, that, that is a powerful scene. And that's funny because I hadn't even thought about that. I was so wrapped up in just that emotion, the look on his face. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's second nature. Maybe in a way that's, that shows uh, also just Homer's come a little bit further. You know, we're looking at Homer as just, you know, like a real down-to-the-bone patriot um, mm-hmm. in the truest sense. And it's like, oh, yeah, and he also has hooks. Like, we, we finally looked past his uh, his injury at yeah. the, the, the mm-hmm. true guy. And the audience knows this is an important moment because we get that, that wonderful uh, musical swell that starts to come up when he, when he picks it up. Oh, yeah. That is, you know, that just helps sell it, that yeah. huge... You know, and I don't think we've talked about the score of this movie, which is it's really quite sweeping mm-hmm. and epic. It just kind of helps sell a moment like this. Yeah. I, I forget who, I'm sorry, who is the, the composer of this one? Uh, it, it, was, it was one of the Newmans, wasn't it? Oh, Al- Alfred Newman? Uh, Alfred E. Newman? Alfred Newman. <laughs> <laughs> Goes back to Mad Magazine. <laughs> Tell you what, let's we'll do a little. Uh, let me look this one up because to, uh, we'll edit, edit, edit on this one so we don't so we sound really smart. Um, <laughs> well, while you're looking that one up, I can talk a little bit about uh, the, the the whole concept of the American flag lapel pin, which we see here. I mean, we we certainly see this a lot now with the. Uh, you know, government officials, usually the president will be wearing uh, an American flag pin. But but where did this uh, first start to uh, get into fashion? So I looked it up. It said that uh, apparently the, the near religious reverence that many Americans have for our national symbol uh, dates only to the Civil War era. Apparently the Confederates started winning battles early in the Civil War. And so Northerners began to fly the, uh, the Stars and Stripes as a sign of pride. Uh, and so that, that was sort of when the flag became you know, a popular symbol. But then uh, people started wearing the flag pins after World War II. Uh, and then it kind of went out of fashion, but then it came back in the late 60s and early 70s uh, when Republican candidates in the 70s started wearing it as a symbol of patriotic solidarity against anti-Vietnam protesters. Oh. So in- interesting that uh, it was kind of worn as a, as a symbol and a message at that time. And then later... Uh, uh, trivia question: What later U.S. history event made the flag pins popular again? Something a little more recent. Ooh, you got me. I'll, I'm probably going to kick myself, but please tell. Audra. Um, I'm going to say Iraq. Uh, pretty close. 9/11. It was oh, after oh, 9/11 oh, yeah, that everybody yeah. started. Well, yeah, we're in the. I remember the the flags that they would fly from their cars, and everybody was it was flag crazy. But uh, yeah, so that's a, a little bit about the pins. It was a little surprising, um, actually, to see the American flag pin in this movie. I had no idea it went back that far, mm. either. Yeah. 
Uh, let me see. What, what else was saying? Oh, <laughs> I have a note here that says uh, the the fact that uh, that uh, Mollet was punched and then the, the pin was taken. So, uh, it, it, does that make anybody guilty of assault and robbery? <laughs> so we have assault, and then we have the pin stealing. Is that robbery? <laughs> well, that that's your that's your scene deleted, where you know you know a character like Mollet is going to try to sue everyone. He's going to try to sue yeah. Homer. He's going to try to sue the department store. Uh, he's going to try to sell the glass maker of the of the display case. He's he's probably going to just try to sue the 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 uh, dairy that made the ice cream. And so <laughs> yeah, it's just, that fits with like a conspiracy nut, which he oh kind yeah of yeah seems yeah. to be yeah. But you know, remember he you know at a at a lovely soda fountain he ordered a ham and cheese. No mustard. <laughs> no mustard. Yeah, this like What's this, wrong with him? this man. He has no imagination. <laughs> and 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 a glass of water, because you know coffee costs a nickel or something like <laughs> that. So, uh, so yeah, I could see him trying to press charges against Homer, but good luck with that. We'll mm. see the store. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> I think that's where Uncle Butch and some of his friends come visit Molly late at night. Oh. Because that was something as we were watching, rewatching uh, last night. You know, no no scenes with Hoagie, but Hoagie just looks so sinister. And <laughs> don't mess with Hoagie Carmine. Do not mess with <laughs> Uncle Butch. You know, when he, you know, he's Homer. It's time for you to go home now. Uh, he's super solid. I'm, I'm, I'm having time. a good time yeah. here. Having yeah, a good yeah, time yeah. here, but no, 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 it's it's time to leave. It's time to leave. You're going. You're going home. You folks stay, uh, but I'm I'm taking the boy home. He's right. a boy. He, he's a Navy veteran. He but, doesn't uh, have any hands anymore. God, let him stay. Yeah, but uh, that, that's just my own fan fiction. That I think if if we ever saw Mollet again, then uh, Uncle Butch would play a special piano concert for Mister Mollet. Oh. I mean, this maybe this has nothing to do with anything, but it's kind of interesting in that minute that um, Mullet doesn't turn around. You basically are just seeing his back. Like, it's almost like he can't turn around. They don't show his face again. It's because he's turned his back on America. Has he? <laughs> <laughs> you identified it, Audra. Well done. Exactly. <laughs> I, I think it's probably just an easy way to get rid of him. At hmm. that point, or maybe he's just dazed from being thrown into a uh, <laughs> glass cabinet. Yeah. The the shock changed him entirely. Mm. I guess so. He he became a missionary overseas. He changed his ways. He was a he was a far different mullet. He was a he was a humble mullet after that. He loves the Jews. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it would have been apt if uh, something had happened to his hands as a result of going through that glass. Like maybe oh, yeah. his hands are, are permanently shattered, and now he can't use them. Yeah. Are they just now he knows. severed? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you know, once again, you, how many times have we seen in a movie somebody goes through glass like it's well, like it's candy, <laughs> and you know, there, there's not even the slightest hint of a scratch on them. You know, they're, they're sort of. You know, they're they're sort of like patting his head, like you know. I think he got sweaty when he went through. You know, it's it's. <laughs> um, I, 
cut myself on a tiny shard of broken glass that I didn't see. Mm. And, you know, I got a big cut in my thumb and blood mm. shooting out. And, <laughs> uh, you know, multiply that times like a million. And, you know, it's, you have shredded mullet. Oh, my God. Shredded mullet. <laughs> when I was in sixth grade science camp, I... <laughs> which is a thing in California. Yeah. Um, one time in science camp. This one time? <laughs> it's the only time I ever went to any kind of camp, and it was for one week. And uh, uh, one, of, one of my classmates, a little girl, was running, and she ran straight into a window with her arms out in front of her. Ooh. Like, she couldn't stop fast enough, you know? So she put her arms out in front. What I saw, I will never forget to this day. I mean... Skin hanging, flesh hanging, oh. like off the arm. A, a helicopter had to come and get her out. And so that it was like an old, older window, which I imagine probably mm. from the same period of time that this glass cabinet is from. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, gl glass did not shatter well back then. It didn't go into a million pieces for safety like it does now. Mm. How are you folks at home feeling now? After Sorry about that. That's okay. I can, I can tell you more. <laughs> oh, okay. Gee, I wonder why that was your only time going to science camp. I hate camping. Yeah, that, that would do it. That, would do it. that takes care of science camp, music camp, first aid camp. That little girl is First now. aid camp. Oh, God. I... <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Oh, oh here, uh, for, for those of our... Uh listeners playing along at home I, I did find the name of the composer or composers so it was hugo friedhofer and and yes newman is emil newman i guess he's one of the newman brothers newman yeah the the, the <laughs> newman dynasty which you know friedhofer was not part of <laughs> how what can i say how could i forget a name like hugo friedhofer <laughs> yeah how could you <laughs> i don't know it's a, it's a long movie. <laughs> it's a long movie. Uh, so then, you know, we have a we we cut to an exterior scene of uh, Fred and Homer walking, just walking. Walking, yes. In silence. Past a furniture store. Yeah. With somebody looking at a couch through the window, like like it was a naked lady. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta scroll back and see that. Now they're just looking through the window, but it's, I, I was like, why are they just staring at that couch for quite a while? They're, oh, there's a whole subplot there. <laughs> um, you know what I find interesting here? I don't think we've had a chance to talk about this uh, in our minutes, Josh, but as they're walking back, uh, Fred is wearing his, his leather flight jacket, his classic A2 flight jacket. Right, the bomber jacket, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that's interesting at this especially at this particular juncture when Fred is, he's pretty miserable and he's, he's really starting to flounder. Mm. And, uh, you know, you first see it, uh, in the scene, uh, I think around one, one twenty nine, the, the confrontation between Al and Fred, mm. uh, which came before our minutes, but you know, you, you wonder if, uh, you know, Fred's wearing this jacket. Is he, is he trying to get back to who he was, in the Eighth Air Force, is mm. he? I, he's trying. I think he's doing some soul searching and he's trying to find himself. And you know, in, in some ways, you wonder: is is this a guy? You know, he's trying to relive his his wartime experiences, 
or is he just trying to find his, his way through when, you know, and probably things were much clearer in some ways. Mm. Or that's just the jacket he has. Or that's it's just the, the jacket. Only jacket. It could be his he only has. jacket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know what's what's interesting? You know, there's a scene much earlier uh, where he comes home uh, with a suit, and mm-hmm. Marie, his wife, you know, looks at him rather aghast, and she's, you know, she's very disappointed. You're not wearing your uniform. Yeah. And he's, I'm, I'm done with that. I'm never going to wear my uniform again. And then they have a scene, you know, it's, a, it's, it's a little tense. They, she wants to go out to dinner and have him wear the uniform, and he doesn't want to do it. You know, he's trying to move on. But here's something that's maybe more symbolically important to him than, than a uniform. Hmm. It's, yeah, it's his flight jacket. It's what he wore on missions. You know, he didn't wear that dress uniform with all the medals on the missions. So, you know, again, I think he's he's trying to, you know, maybe find, you know, maybe he's trying, I mean, he's on a mission uh, now to try to get home in some way. But uh, I do hmm. find it interesting that, and, you know, in, in ensuing scenes, he has that leather jacket. And uh, make of it what you will, but I, I think it's Fred is trying to, you know, find the courage that he had when he was in the, you know, when he was flying missions, hmm. and uh, to try to get through this, you know, the the humiliation of working at that job and you know a marriage that's falling apart. Yeah, like all of this stuff on the outside world is actually harder. Yeah. Than what he faced during the war. Yeah, it's. It, I, I can't imagine uh, what a World War II bombing mission was like. And, uh, and this is also, I don't know if any of you other, of our other co-hosts have mentioned the, the great documentary, uh, Into the Wild Blue. Have, mm. you, have you had a chance to see that, Josh? Uh, not yet, but it's on my list. You were telling me about that one before. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. And it's, in some ways, it, it is a, a prequel or um, it gives you the background. You know, it's, it's footage that Weiler shot for his great movie, uh, Memphis Bell, hmm. and it's been uh, you know digitally enhanced and cleaned up and colorized to the point where you feel like you're looking out a window of a B-17. So it it does help, I think, to to see that. And then you know when you see, for example, you know Fred's nightmare, you get a sense of oh, wow what he went through. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I mean the you know the summing up the courage to go on these missions day after day uh can't imagine it but it's but in, yeah in a way it's just like well we're we're going to get on this airplane and we're going to fly it over to germany and they're going to try to shoot us down <laughs> there is a certain simplification to that yeah <laughs> you know the rules you know the rules and here the rules are different um he's probably he'd probably look forward to an 88 millimeter flat gun <laughs> firing at him so but anyway yeah here they are uh kind of sad sad you know they were sort of looking at the ground and um they, they don't know what to say to each other at first you know if you take this scene even one step further i mean you could say that you know them walking by with all of these scenes in the background of you know domesticity you know with the couch and you know the, the civilian life it's almost like they they're kind of walking past it they haven't really found their way back into it that's yeah. something you could discuss for a for a film course, I suppose. Or we could discuss it here. Yeah, that they're on the outside. Uh, they aren't even on the outside looking in. They're just yeah, it's just passing them by. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I do think this is a great moment between these two guys. Mm. You know, they're they. I think they are becoming the best of buddies. 
and uh, you know, and you know, I mean, you know, Homer is Homer feels like it's his fault. You know, he's he's I, he he's going to apologize to uh, Fred here in a minute. But yeah, you know, these, it's funny to think that these two guys, you know, meet on an airplane hmm. just a few days earlier, a few weeks earlier. But um, you know, and they had very different experiences in the war, and yet here they are. Uh, brothers in arms walking down the stark street yeah sometimes you don't even need to say anything just the fact that you've both experienced such you know such trials in a war you know already that just that makes them brothers yeah and that's you know that's a tribute also to Weiler as a director this movie has so many quiet moments <laughs> no dialogue is needed or just have the characters you know like when Homer's looking at the pen Mm-hmm. You know, you, you don't need anything else. Of course, you, you also have Hugo Friedhofer giving <laughs> stirring music. <laughs> musical cue helps. Musical yeah. cue, but there's no musical cue here. Newman. Just, yeah. <laughs> Newman. <laughs> yeah. But well, that's uh, that that pretty much wraps up this minute then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a lot of a lot of action uh, in a minute. <laughs> no, coming up. Uh, but uh, Audra, what what'd you think? What'd you think of this minute and uh, and, of, and of the film in general? Uh, this minute is very touching. You know, it's uh, it's the come down from the uh, the previous minute. If you want to look at it minute by minute, which apparently you two do. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, you get all the action of the punch, and then you get the aftermath. Um, but it's very satisfying in that he gets. To he gets to quit. You can't fire me. I quit. And then um, it's super touching because they have this moment where they're walking in silence for a bit. And uh, um, that's that speaks volumes. And also just that Homer feels like he has to apologize hmm. is uh, is it's so misguided. Yeah. You know, because they, they both should be like, yeah, screw that Nazi, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't know, maybe you guys brought this up in your previous minute, um, but I read that uh, the director actually based that punch on uh, something that happened to him when he was working. Um, he, he actually punched a doorman for saying an anti-Semitic slur. Really? Yeah. Wow. And uh, so he, he was like, yeah, that's great. I'm going to put that in my movie. <laughs> huh. that, that was great that one time I did that. Audra, uh, thank you so much yeah, thank for you. being on this minute with us. Oh, thanks uh, for inviting me. Please, though, tell us and everyone out there in Minute by Minute Land, what are you working on? Well, I host a podcast called Speak Easily versus the 80s, and uh, we're kind of we go we do a different movie every episode like a whole movie i know not just a minute um and uh we focus on those guilty and not so guilty pleasures of the 80s movies that perhaps you watched on cable as a kid over and over and over again and um we're about to release uh, hard ticket to hawaii and <laughs> we've done vibes and we've we've done some some great movies so yeah check out speak easily versus the 80s uh you can find out more at speakeasily.tv and we're on the itunes and the spotify and all the usual idiot places so check it out 
Thank you again, Audra Wolfman, for being on Minute 138. Uh, you can find the Best Minute podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, and on our main site, thebestminutes.com. Social media is available at Butch's Place, the Best Years of Our Lives Listeners Cafe on Facebook, and on Twitter at The Best Minutes. Uh, Plenus. Plenus. <laughs> Did you say Plenus? Plenus. <laughs> yes. The great German film critic. Plenus. Oh, no, the great, the great Roman, you know, Plenus, Plenus of Plenus. Rome. <laughs> Plenus of Rome. The great Roman general and film critic, of course. So, Plenus, join in us next time in us on the best minute. <laughs> right here, we'll be here back. We'll be back for minute 139. I might not. <laughs> you can't fire me. I quit. Ah! Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> Joe, you better hurry up out there because she's taking off soon. Right, thanks. Come on, Taylor.